With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Anfield Index Transfer Rumors podcast. Uh, this is Tadiwa here, joined once again by Justin. Justin, welcome back for another week of crazy transfer rumors, it seems like. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's going to stop. It, it never seems like it's going to stop, but they it, it just seems like there's, there's so much ludicrousness in the market. And this market, really, right now, this January market... Uh, it's it's like most of the January markets. It's it's slow. Nobody's going in and uh and, and buying, and we're just seeing a bunch of rumors. Uh, some of which are outlandish, some of which are understandable. But I, I guess maybe let, let's get into it and let's maybe start with the uh the bit of fun. I, I told you that we wouldn't talk about United today, but I actually will talk about them for a second because the biggest rumor we've seen around Manchester United, uh, but I told Tadio about 20 seconds ago before we started this, I would start with Liverpool, but then I remembered that I wanted to bring this up. Uh, United are rumored <laughs> to uh, be panicking because apparently Pochettino wants to stay at Spurs, and we'll get more into that um, later. But uh, their their panic move is uh, potentially that the installation of uh, Gareth Southgate as uh, their permanent manager. And Tadio, you know, being that you you live in the UK, um, I, I want to understand just exactly how that would make you feel to see a manager who I, I think is perfect for United from a Liverpool fan perspective. Yeah, it's one of those where you wake up in the morning and you see the papers and you just raise an eyebrow. I think the weird thing with United is they seem to be conflicted with you know, the notion and the narrative that they want to go back to the United way, you know, how they played under Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, whereas you can see some of the managers that they're being linked with and some of the managers that they've chosen since Ferguson has gone has nothing to do with playing football the Ferguson way or playing it the United way as, they, as they've been famously quoting. I mean, Mourinho is probably the furthest away from any sort of old age United way in terms of just stylistically how he played. And then you'd assume that, okay, fine, they've understood, they've made the mistake, they've held their hands up and said, okay, this is clearly not working. Let's go back to this United way as this narrative, as I mentioned. Then you can understand maybe bringing in someone like a Pochettino um, who plays a good, um, attractive style of football. And, you know, he's young enough to bring in this new age of modern football but he's, he also has that experience in the Premier League. He's been with Spurs, who have been in the Champions League for a couple of seasons now. And, you know, the argument with him is whether or not he's taken the Spurs side as 
far as he can take them, then maybe he takes the leap onto another team that might be able to throw a bit more muscle in the transfer market or offer the bigger wages. Maybe, you know, that, that I can see making sense. But seeing United linked, let's say, with the likes of Southgate, who you could see even in the World Cup, I mean, I, I don't know, for, from my perspective, it seemed like England were just playing a counter-attack you know, game with just fast players up top and hoping that, you know, they score quick counter-attack goals and then just making sure they're very, very solid at the back. Now, isn't that similar to what Mourinho was doing, um, you know, for, for the best part of his United career in making sure they're very solid at the back, get hard-working midfielders in there, not much creativity going on, but just hoping, you know, that they get they get the break on quick counter-attacks um, so I can see Southgate employing that type of tactic at United. If it's if it works for a season or so, as we saw with Mourinho, they're willing to be patient and allow it. But the moment it starts to go wrong, it goes horribly wrong. So I I really don't understand those type of links. I, I uh, as I said, you know, I think it's a perfect appointment for Liverpool supporters because I don't think Gareth Southgate really has much cachet as far as landing uh, players from I, you know. From probably around the rest of the, from the rest of the continent in South America. Uh, nobody's gonna look at what England did this summer in the World Cup where, you know, the football was, it wasn't great actually. And a lot of the, a lot of the scoring that, you know, kind of got Harry Kane, uh, his, his due at the World Cup, you know, this, this podcast's personal favorite player, Harry Kane. Um, you know, a lot of what got him his due were, you know, flute goals against Tunisia and Panama. So, uh, you know, it's not exactly like they were high flying. They, they scored on set pieces. They didn't really create from open play. And, you know, the way in which that th- th- they play, I'm not, I'm not going towards man management because I think Southgate actually looks like a reasonably good man manager. He definitely did, uh, you know, a good part to, you know, back Raheem Sterling and actually and, and keep Sterling's back. So I don't think it's a situation where it's like Mourinho with like the lack of man management. I just don't think that he excites people to play for. Uh, you know, it's just, it's going to be an uber defensive style. I don't think the modern player really wants to do that unless you're someone like, unless you're playing for someone like a Simeone where it's just like, yeah, we're going to play this style, but, you know, we're also going to maybe win Europe. And even then, look at the player Simeone has. He's still got Griezmann. Griezmann's a great player. He doesn't, he doesn't stifle Griezmann's uh, creativity. He never stifled Costa's ability to try to go forward. It was just, you know, we're going to be defense first. You can still express yourself. Um, I don't think that Southgate's going to be as negative as like a Marino where he's not going to say that players can't express themselves. I just don't think that he'll lure the kind of player who will. Yeah, and that's a big thing for, I think it's something that Liverpool had to come to a crossroads with Brendan Rodgers where we had a manager, you know, who really couldn't attract any players. We had to ask Steven Gerrard most of the time to, to be trying to call and message players, you know, trying to persuade them. And that ends up becoming a very tricky situation, especially with how competitive, you know, the top end of the table is. There's so many other alternatives to, you know, if let's say Christian Eriksen becomes available, you know, it's not just going to be one club that's after him. It's going to be a host of clubs. And if your manager doesn't have that gravitas, then at the very least, you should have a, a director of football or someone upstairs that could maybe attract them. We've seen Seville um, and maybe Roma and those type try and employ that one where maybe the manager might not be as prestigious, but the back room uh, upstairs is a lot more prestigious than you can attract. But once again, United, we don't know whether they're going to bring in a director of football. 
certainly Woodward isn't the footballing guy. He's more of, you know, the business side of things. So that could also become a problem if you now either keep a Solskjaer or bring in a Southgate and you have no director of football. How are you going to be attracting these players to come in unless they're going to end up in the same problem they are now in the sense of we're just going to have to pay them ridiculous wages to convince them to come? Yeah, no, I I, I, I agree with you there. So that's enough about United for today. Um, I, you know, that, that was enough talking about them. Uh, even though David, you know, this game is being, this, this is being recorded actually during the second half of United and Spurs. And David De Gea basically has shown everybody why he's a frustrating mess because he's just stopping everything in a game with, that I kind of want to see end in a draw. But, um, onto, onto, to brighter pastures. Um, Liverpool, as, the, as of the time of recording, seven points clear at the top of the Premier League at the moment. Uh, following a, a, a you know, a one nil against Brighton that some people would describe as nervy, but those people, uh, probably, you know, don't want to really think about the fact that defensively we dominated them because we do that to teams now. But, uh, there, there weren't any real stories about our, our, tra- you know, about where we need to strengthen that probably need to come through from that game. So it leaves us with very little to talk about it from a Liverpool perspective. But there are two slight stories that I guess may, or a few small stories that I guess could probably get discussed. I guess the first of which is, uh, the comments this week from Jurgen Klopp around Adam Lallana, who again finds himself out with injury. Um, specifically the comments, you know, that are, uh, the, the specific you know, comment about Adam Lallana is you have to deal with it and he's de- dealing with it well. He'll, he won't lose confidence. He's a mature person. Person, It's unlucky. No one likes it, but you have to deal with it. Uh, at this point, Lallana's been available, I think, for 11% of the games. That's the number that uh, Simon Brunner is just floating around from, antique, from the fatigue, uh, fatigue index. But, uh, he, you know, 11% of games, you see these kinds of comments from Klopp. Obviously, Klopp's not going to trash the player because Lallana seems pers- mostly, well, firstly, because it's not Klopp's way, but secondly, also, because Lalana seems like he's uh, an honest, hardworking professional who just who can't who just can't stay healthy. Um, he seems to be pretty broken at this point. And I guess the question is, would you expect to see Lalana? I mean, I'm not saying the play for us again because I think he'll obviously get a few minutes when healthy down in the second half of the season. Um, I don't expect him to start games. But do uh, you, you think we're going to see Lalana uh, go in the summer, or do you think it's possible that we see him go earlier? I think it will be difficult to see him go earlier. Um, it doesn't seem the the type of club that would be going for Lalana. I'm assuming is either at you know somewhere in the mid table of the Premier League, maybe maybe a Leicester or something like that. But even have Madison, who's up and coming, so I don't know if they would want to stifle his growth. So I don't see Lalana landing up in a top six club. Um, Funny enough, an ideal club for him would probably be like an Everton or something. It seems a lot of these fringe Liverpool players, the best place would probably be an Everton for them where they could go in and actually grab a starting position. But um, in terms of Klopp's you know, comments on him, I think that's just the nature of Jurgen Klopp. He'll always back his players. As long as Liverpool players, he'll back them. Um, and he'll always try and big them up more, maybe more than what they deserve. Because you do have to remember, we still have to try and sell the player. And we've seen, you know, how Liverpool and Michael Edwards and the whole transfer committee have done so well in selling, you know, some of our players, bringing in Solanke for virtually free, selling him for 80 million, selling Jordan Ibe for around 16 million. Those are big deals when you consider, you know, maybe where those players were in their careers and maybe 
Ibe situation, what he's done so far since leaving. Um, so they obviously want to still garner that interest in a Lalana um, with plans to sell him, but you don't want to just write him off. Um, in terms of his involvement with Liverpool itself, I do think it's it's coming to the tailor end of his career at Liverpool. I still think it's going to be a summer move. I don't think it's going to be a January move, just purely because I haven't seen anyone who has shown real interest or is willing to put up the money that Liverpool would be would be wanting for him. Yeah, I, I just can't see him. I mean, obviously, I think we all know he doesn't have a role going forward, and we expect his wages to be reinvested in probably a younger player who's a bit more indestructible. But uh, I, 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 I feel for him at one level, but at another level, we passed him by, and uh, we've seen that sometimes Klopp's uh, allegiance to players let makes you know lets him uh, play players who are less than what you want at times. Uh, so I feel for the guy, but it's uh, it's not you know a situation that's gonna going to end well for him. Uh, moving on to uh, Daniel Sturridge. Uh, out sick yesterday against uh, Brighton. He's usually been pretty dependably making our bench. But I guess the question is, do you think that he's, uh, you think the sickness is a put-me-in-the-shop-window sickness, or do you think he's probably just ill because it's January? Um, Maybe I think it's just genuinely having a virus and not willing to risk it. You, you, you do have to remember... With, let's say, you know, if, if a player gets a flu or something and he's not necessarily one of the key players in the team, there's no point risking him being in and around. Let's say, you know, you don't really want Sturridge shaking Salah's hand and, you know, transferring a cold to, to Mohamed Salah or just something as basic as that where Sturridge isn't a vital player for this team. And I think he's accepted that role this season and that seemed to have helped him get back into the fold of this team is the fact that he's accepted he's no longer a starter at at, at Liverpool um, just purely because his body I don't think can handle it but if you have a player like that who's not key um, and if he's on the bench it's great if he's not on the bench you have an Origi who's you know kind of playing well at the moment so it's not the biggest loss there's no point in risking him being in and around the squad if it's something that could be contagious and then you end up losing a player over a very similar reason, I, I really don't think it's too much to take into consideration. Considering how well Sturridge has accepted his role this season, I, I see him being happy to see out the season, especially considering how promising the season is looking. You would think a player like a Sturridge still feels he has a role to play. Once you know the Champions League games start, he's going to be one of the players would win the and at the end of the season he might have a medal so I don't see him giving that up um, this late into the season. Yeah, no, I, uh, I I happen to agree. I also still think that there's a chance that he's going to contribute some uh, at some points in the rest of the season. I just think it's basically a question of you know what what is he what's left for him for us and I think at this point there's not much. It's really not much now. Uh, the other player who's a clear outgoing, and I don't think we need to have a discussion on him because he's been discussed to death on this channel if you listen to anything that features uh, Guy Drinkle. Um, Alberto Moreno said that he's leaving. We take that at face value. Uh, but last week we did discuss uh, Abdul's, uh, Abdul Qadir Omer and uh, Tadiwa. I think you've done some digging, so why don't you uh, bring us through the player and his profile? Yeah, as we admitted last week, it's not a player that was particularly on our radar, but I, I thought it was you know, fair just to tie that loose in and just go and do a little bit of research on him, watch a few of his games, see how he plays, and 
what he could add to a Liverpool team, you know, considering the rumours were quite strong last week. Um, just to touch on the rumours themselves, be- before I go on to the player, it, it doesn't seem like they've developed any more um, this week, and it seems Newcastle have become one of the teams that have entered maybe the race for him. Um, but at the price, they're looking up upwards of $25 million. I don't know if Newcastle would be willing to, to go that high. So I, I think if it's a player that Liverpool desperately want, I'm sure we'll be able to outmuscle them in, in any bid that they could make, you know, considering their financial situation at the moment. Um, in terms of the player himself, uh, he seems to be, especially this season, he's played a lot at right wing. Um, he's a left-footed player, very, very tiny player. He's actually the height of Torreira um, at Arsenal. So he's about five foot six. So just to give you a, a picture of, of of the height of the player. Um, but obviously with that comes that low center of gravity, very good close, close control and very good at, you know, dribbling his way out of trouble. Um, I don't necessarily, after seeing some of his, his play, I think he would be more of the really, really, really raw gems that Klopp would then have to work with and try and get the most out of. I have, yeah, having done more research, I, I've tended to go towards the, this is not as likely as I first thought it might be, just considering how much work would need to be done with him. He's still a kid, you know, he's still, he's still quite young and he, his output is not as good as maybe the YouTube videos might, might show. He's, he's okay at dribbling. He, he you know, he, he's very good at, Close control, as I said, he's a dribbler. He likes to cut in from from that right-hand side onto his left foot and take shots or look for passes. But in terms of actual success with those dribbles, he's probably just above average in a a Premier League. So it's not anything special. And then in terms of um, even expected goals or expected assists and and just build-up play, it's not necessarily anything special in terms of him being an impact this season especially, you know, coming into a team cold, having to learn the club system and being asked to make an impact in a title-winning team. I, I really don't see him being that type of player. So if people had hopes of him being that type of player, I think there might be too high hopes um, put on him. He would be one that would have to be trained and helped with his end product really to become that type of player. And an idea of what the type of player he's like would probably be Bernard at Everton. Very similar, small player who can dribble and trying to get that consistency in his game. Like I said, having done more research, I really don't see why Liverpool would be going for him at such a high price. I think there are better people, that better alternatives out there. And I think he might just be too too small for the Premier League um, at the moment. And it's something you'd want someone else to try and develop. Then maybe buy him a bit later than necessarily taking the chance on him now. Yeah, no, I, I I appreciate that. I obviously have no opinion on the player because the most I now know about him is exactly what you just told me about him. But I also just don't think we should be buying from the same bin as uh, Newcastle. Granted, it's also possible that Newcastle, you know, just don't buy from anywhere because their owner doesn't give them any money. Uh, and I do want to get into the fact that the dumbest thing I've heard all week was uh, Richard Keyes basically saying that if Rafa wants to complain about Mike Ashley not giving him money. Maybe he should spend some of his own on uh, on transfers. That was that was surprising to me. I mean, and you know, and you can see this is the problem with having you know specific agendas against certain 
you know, there's certain managers or certain opinions, is you end up making comments as ridiculous as that, asking a manager to put his own money up or justifying what necessarily is happening at Newcastle. Look, I think Rafa's doing an amazing job there with the limited resources he has had. And I'm worried for a Newcastle if they don't either, you know, get sold to a, a, an owner that's willing to invest a bit more or if they get relegated because, you know, I doubt Rafa Benitez will be staying around this time around for a second, you know, promotion push. So that that could be quite worrying. They have all the tools to be a really, really big club in, in, in England. And it's just a shame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, if you pack St. James's Park, that match day gives you, I think, already probably like the fifth or sixth biggest stadium in the country. Uh, and yet, I think it's just, being, you know, if the money's not being reinvested wisely, Mike Ashley is a bad owner. But uh, let's move. Let's move now around the league. Uh, so I guess let's start with uh, revolving attacking midfielder doors. Uh, both Eden Hazard and Christian Eriksen are linked with Real Madrid. Uh, do Do you think this is uh, as basically obvious as it, as it looks with Real suffering and basically you know just needing to load up on Galacticos? Uh, also, would you consider either Eriksen or Hazard a Galactico? <laughs> Not maybe in the traditional sense of the, the Galacticos that Madrid are, you know, but maybe the new age of Galacticos, the modern era Galacticos, if you can, if you can call it that. Um, Ericsson is definitely a capable player, but for me, he's someone who they already have way more than enough players in that type of role as the attacking creative midfielder. They've got Isco, they've got Asensio, I, I don't know how many more. I, I think one. both of those guys are better than Ericsson. Yeah, definitely. I, I would have to agree with you there. Unless they're willing to, or Ericsson himself is willing to change his role and become maybe a deeper a deeper player, but I don't see him getting in that team ahead of either of those two. Um, in terms of Eden Hazard, it seems like he's the natural replacement. Cristiano Ronaldo, not necessarily in terms of output or, you know, just the sheer brand that is Cristiano Ronaldo, but it seems like he's been touted or one, you know, people have wanted to tout him as the natural replacement. Um, it seems like Chelsea are looking to spend quite a bit of money this, um, this window itself and going forward. So the question now arises is, are they spending that hazard money early, knowing that he's going to be going to Real Madrid? Now they need to make it more of a team game than necessarily building it on one specific icon. I know many players that are good enough to, to have that team built around them that are available at the moment. Unless the rumors are true that, you know, Neymar might eventually end up there, then maybe they can try and do it that way. But in terms of those two, for Liverpool, if they, if it was an option for us, Ericsson would definitely be someone I would be interested in bringing to us. I agree with you also because I think Erickson would fit someone like us because I think the work rate, the creativity, he fits a hole that we have, but he's not relied on to fix like, you know, what's, what's pretty toxic. And Real Madrid at the moment, I think the, the toxicity is overrated. I just think that they're at the end of a cycle and this happens, right? It happened to them in like 2004, 2005, 2006. We saw that cycle die. They went out and bought players like Robin. It didn't work out. So they went out and bought Ronaldo. This is what Real Madrid do. They occasionally fall, they, they fall over once every two decades and then reload because they have the money to do so. But I could see Hazard going there. I could see Neymar going there. I could even to a point see if, uh, you know, 
I could see some uh, some other things happening there where you know they end up with I don't know someone like maybe like a Leroy Sané if he doesn't if if things seem to continue to you know get weird enough in his uh his personal life with uh Guardiola. Uh you know I'm not saying Sané but I'm just saying they could find other assets that are going to be great players. They could go and raid some of this younger level of German talent like a Havertz or like a Brandt when those guys get a little bit more seasoning. And of course they could always do the thing that would scare us most which is uh decide that they want to increase their market share in uh, the Middle East and uh you know try to try to take most Salah from us though I, I doubt that that's going to happen. There's a lot of directions in which Real can go, but I just don't think Ericsson is uh is one of, is one that they should, given that I think Asensio and Isco are better. Yeah, I, th- I think you summed it up perfectly. And um, look, the problem with Real Madrid and Barcelona is I don't think any player would be safe. They just are the type of clubs that, without even having a game plan, you could see with the likes of James Rodriguez going there, it was just awful with Perez saying, "Oh, I like that player. I have more at the World Cup. I'm going to get him." So just as long as they stay far away from the sellers and stuff, you can't deny that they are arguably the two biggest, obviously, in terms of stature, United are up there. Um, Liverpool are trying to get back there. I, I think we had fallen off quite a bit. And, but the Bayern, Madrid, Barcelona, Man United are probably the four biggest clubs in world football. And it's, as I said last week, football is now to a lot of players. You can't go with the old age, you know, once you sign for Liverpool, you're here for life. It's just about saying the right things whenever you go to the right club. Never leave Liverpool. It's, I, I, I think it's very hopeful thinking, and it would be nice if it happens. But I, I, in modern football, it's just hard to see that happening. Yeah. So, moving, moving, uh, moving clubs across across to, uh, Lo- uh, you know, staying within London. Um, Spurs are rumored to be in for. Uh, for, you know, for Frankie de Jong, willing to match, uh, PSG and ostensibly probably Manchester City for him. Um, we can laugh at this, right? Look, I, th- I think it would be tough for Spurs to be competing with a PSG, considering how big PSG are in terms of not just the transfer fees they're willing to pay and also the wages that they're willing to pay. Um, I think Spurs have one of the tightest wage budgets, um, especially considering certain players. They seem to have you know, certain criteria that they're just not going to break. Obviously, with the likes of Harry Kane, they're willing to maybe give him a little more than what they would want to give players naturally. But the likes of Alderweireld, Eriksson now coming up, it seems like they've got a certain idea of how much they're willing to pay him. And if he's not willing to accept something like that, then he's going to have to go. Now, that plays into the likes of the players they're bringing in as well. Because if you are coming into Spurs, they tend to bring you in at a very low wage and you kind of have to earn your higher wage. Whether or not De Jong is willing to come to Spurs and earn a higher wage, you know, it it, it depends with each player. But when you've got an offer from PSG or an offer from Spurs, it's usually likely that you end up choosing um, to go to PSG. I do also think we have to take into consideration PSG felt the offer they brought in because they were trying to go for De Jong and um, De Ligt uh, at, at the same time and try and get them both from Ajax. And PSG feel comfortable that their offer is way more than anything Barcelona would be able to offer. 
So if Barcelona are struggling to bring the package that PSG are, are willing to bring for those players, I'm really struggling to see how Spurs will be able to then match them. Yeah, I, I just don't think that they'll be able to match them anyway, because I just don't think, obviously, Spurs offer nearly as much of a... They don't offer the upside that either of those clubs do, like, financially, which you covered. But I also just think off the pitch, right? Or on the, on the pitch. What is Spurs gonna do? Are you gonna, are, are you gonna win your league? Probably not. Um, are you gonna, are you gonna win the Champions League? Probably not. Uh, you know, Spurs have shown themselves to be basically a, a consolidated Champions League team that probably needs far too much to break right for them to win instead of going out and doing the things that they probably need to do in the market uh, to address their shortcomings and go out and win. And it's because of that wage bill. It's because of the commercial the commercial aspects. You know, we sit there and we complain about Liverpool and what they've and how we've got left behind in the modern era uh, when United basically, you know, went out and showed that they can do, you know, when United went over and took out uh, English football, taking it over basically from us. Uh, they went out and, uh, you know, they're... Spurs kind of acting are behaving like we did in that situation where we do some stuff, but not enough, enough to basically be a consistent top four team, but not be, but not enough to, to actually win anything. And I think that's, that's kind of the, the stasis that they're stuck with. Um, moving across North London, uh, obviously if you've watched an Arsenal game in the last month, there's one player you haven't seen. It's definitely affected their performances from a creativity perspective. Um, Mesut Ozil, where on earth can he actually end up? That's going to be an interesting one. And the funny thing is Ozil this week, the whole of this week, was um, tweeting about how he had been back in training and he was ready for the game, excited for the game, ready to go. And then he doesn't even make you know, the whole match day squad. He gets left at home. And obviously those type of things get exponentially worse when you then go and lose to maybe a team like West Ham where you'd arguably be expecting to win. Um, it, it seems like it's a no-win situation for Emery at the moment. I think he was trying to show his dominance in, in the changing room by taking on the big, you know, the big wage earner and saying, we're going to have to do things my way. And at the mo- it, it was working well at the beginning of the season when Arsenal went on that unbeaten run. But like I said, fans can turn very easily when, when things start to go wrong. And at Arsenal, I think the last time they won an away game was in November. So, and you can see in most of the games, the the, the reason they're not getting the points or, or winning the games is a lack of creativity. They've got really good strikers, but no one's really creating for them. In terms of Mesut Ozil, I think he's actually the one in the driver's seat now with the way things are at Arsenal in terms of He's happy to stay at Arsenal and he seems to be saying the right things in terms of he's ready to work and ready to stay at Arsenal. So he could either just stay at Arsenal and still be earning over 300k, which, which isn't bad at all. Or, you know, he tries, tries to find a better offer to somewhere else. I don't think he's received an offer good enough at the moment for him to, to try and rock the boat to leave Arsenal. And I think that's why he's being, you know, the good boy and trying to, trying to play as though he is, you know, everything is rosy from his end. It just seems to be the manager's issue with him. Um, until he gets that solid offer that probably is matching his wages or at least getting close to that and is going to a club that's going to be comfortably in the Champions League week in, week, um, year in, year out, I don't see him 
leaving, especially in January, maybe in the summer, it might be something that clubs might look for. Would would, would you take a, a Mesut Ozil at Liverpool? I don't think I would. I don't think he does enough off the. I don't think he does enough off the ball. Um, you know, basically, I love the creativity. I love what he'd probably improve as far as the service to the front three, but. As is, we 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 would need another player. You need another player to do his running for him, and I just don't think that uh, Henderson can do it. I don't think that uh, I I don't think that Genie Wijnaldum's heart will be able to take it because I think he'd basically you know he'd run himself into the ground. I just don't think that he offers nearly enough off the ball for it. Uh, I think I'd rather have a player who's a few years younger and with a similar kind of creativity profile. I know that that's hard to find because Ozil is one of the elite creators in European football, but I think you can still find players who can give you something similar while not sacrificing some of that off-ball, ta- off, off-ball creativity. Like a Frankie de Jong, for instance. Like, I mean, I, I would love for us to be in for Frankie de Jong. I just don't think we will. Yeah, it, it, it seems like our, our attentions are, are elsewhere. And as you said, he has all the creativity. It's just in a Liverpool team, he's going to be asked to do a lot more and probably a lot more than he's ever been asked to do at Arsenal. And the critics have always been arguing that he doesn't do enough at Arsenal. So you could imagine how much, you know, criticism he would be under if he came to a Liverpool that's a bit more demanding for your off the ball work. Yeah. Um, so sticking also now in London, um, obviously we've spoken about Hazard, but. Uh, a player that's actually rumored to uh, be going to Chelsea in this window is uh, Gonzalo Higuain. Um, his contract at AC Milan, I believe, is uh, in the process of being released. So I think he's actually going to be fairly free to be bought by Chelsea. Um, I, do you, what, do you, what do you think Higuain would offer in the Premier League? A league he hasn't played in at this point, at the age of 31. What, what do you think he offers to Chelsea if he ends up there? He offers something that they probably had in Diego Costa in that he, he's able to finish. Chelsea seem to have all the build-up play. They just don't have someone who can put the ball in the net um, from a striker, striker perspective. Obviously, they've tried putting Eden Hazard there, and to t- some degree it has worked. But clearly, if Eden Hazard is playing as a false nine, it means the manager is not happy with the strikers that he has at his disposal. Higuain, like I said, at Chelsea, he's not going to be asked to run too much. He's not going to be asked to do too much off the ball. His job will just be to stand in the middle and make sure he puts the ball into the net. And I think he's one of the better strikers at finishing things off. And especially if he's not asked to do a lot of, you know, build up work, I I think he could suit them really well. It seems like Morata tries to do way too much um, and, and, and eats into the spaces of the Williams and the Hazards. So, it seems like they're trying to get rid of Morata, um, and then it's just a one out, one in, and Higuain seems to be the preferred option. Yeah, I think I think Higuain would give them some finishing, um, I, and also, you know what, they wouldn't have to deal with Higuain's one real kryptonite because they're not in the Champions League, so they don't have to worry about him missing a sitter or, the, or a penalty in the Champions League. So they've got that going for him, which is nice. Or a World Cup. Yeah, or, or a World Cup. Uh, no, no player has done more damage to Leo Messi's international career than Gonzalo Higuain. That's, I mean, that's entirely untrue. It's probably the the Argentine back four or Sergio Romero. But uh, yeah, no, it's 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 it would be nice to see him finish in like a huge in a huge non-Italian league game. Yeah, it, and and it will be interesting to see him come to the Premier League. I mean, he was especially in his prime years. He was one of the the best strikers in world football and 
there was a time when Arsenal were really, really close to signing him. And obviously, Arsenal being Arsenal with the, the owners that they have at the moment, they just weren't willing to put up the money. But he was pretty much ready to sign on the dotted line. And then when it came to actually now forking out the money, the, the Arsenal owners, you know, their bluff was called. So it will be interesting to see him come in. And if he comes in and he's a success at Chelsea, you could just imagine how much more that would irritate, you know, an, an Arsenal fan. Yeah, yeah. But uh, move, moving uh, moving forward into uh, Chelsea's attacking options, obviously we've mentioned it, but there's a give and take often with transfers and uh, wage bills, even though Chelsea doesn't seem to have to do it. It seems as if the entry of Higuain would result in the uh, the departure to you, I believe either La Liga or um, probably the Italian league of uh, Alvaro Morata. Uh, do you think we miss it? Do you think we miss it? Do you think we miss anything with him? I mean, not we, but I think Chelsea or the Premier League. He just seems to not have settled in the Premier League, and and maybe stylistically he just doesn't match up. But uh, interesting, I was speaking to a Real Madrid fan, I think it was last week, and he was saying he always favored Morata as the second choice striker. He never thought he would ever, you know, reach that level of being the, the, one of the top teams strikers that you rely on to get 20 plus goals a season. But as the foil to that top striker, he could come in with 10 to 15 goals coming off the bench, you know, rotating into the squad and he could really do well there. Obviously, the reason Morato left Real Madrid where he was behind Benzema in that role is he thought he could be the lead man. And it, it seems like he's struggling with that responsibility at Chelsea, whether it's the league um, that's not fitting or whether, you know, it's that whole thing of it's different when you're coming off a bench and not necessarily being the main man being relied on to score the 20 goals, um, whether he's not adapting to that. I think it will only, you know, time will tell once he's left Chelsea and gone maybe to another league to see what exactly was the issue with him. I know last season, he had a lot of issues with back back problems. I don't know if that's been resolved. I thought it was resolved by the end of last season where he played a lot of last season with injuries and he had to go for rehab and he had to fly to and from um, Spain for a lot of rehab work. And that was not necessarily worldwide news, but they just kept it under the wraps and he played with that. So I always you know, graded him at a curve from that perspective that he's actually playing with an injury that not many people know about. But this season, he just hasn't seemed to kick on from that. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. He's linked with uh, a few Spanish clubs. And obviously, that Higuain link is going to link him with probably replacing Higuain at a Juventus or going on loan to AC Milan. Yeah, so so before we get to uh, Hudson Adoy, I, I do have one question for you. If our season comes down to Murata coming in one-on-one, assuming he doesn't go in January, Murata coming one-on-one with Allison Becker and all Becker and all Allison has to do, you know, basically it's a one-on-one situation and our, and our chances of winning the title come down to Murata's ability to finish that one-on-one. How confident are you that we win the title? Based on this season, I would be pretty confident. I'll be running around celebrating. But based on past Liverpool title challenges, just because it's Liverpool history, you could see the one player who hasn't been able to hit a barn door, you know, all season to be the one that goes and scores a winner to stop us winning a title. That would be horrible. Yeah, no, I know. I'm just, I was really just more taking a shot at Murata <laughs> and his inability to finish one on ones. I mean, he, he, he just seems to, 
know that like the spot he wants to put it into is every single time he tries lo- like low inside the post, which you're supposed to do if you're a striker. And every time he misses outside the post by about a good six to twelve inches. Yeah, and I'm and I'm sure it's that old age. Once one of those goes in, then maybe they'll start going in with a lot more regularity. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, we saw it with Torres once. Once he got like you know a view of that corner for his first season in Liverpool, it seemed like every single ball that he hit went into that low, that you know right footed, left footed didn't matter. It was going low. And only into into a spot where the keeper has to do the most most work to get to it. Uh, but Callum Hudson Odoi uh, seemingly wants out at Chelsea. Um, Rachel Sari actually uh, you know, puts him into the uh, the eleven in the F, in the in the uh, I think it was the Carabao Cup he played. But uh, I guess the question is: Is he staying? Is he going? How good is he? And what kind of player is Bayern maybe getting versus what's really going on here? It's a very, very interesting one. And and last week we spoke about how a lot of the academy players seem to be more willing, or English academy players um, seem to be more willing to try and venture overseas. And I think that ultimately will benefit you know English football going forward to have players that are willing to to go abroad and and experience different styles of football and you know try we can see how much it benefits other national teams coming into the Premier League but um for Hudson Odoi it's a great opportunity to join Bayern Munich I think they are one of the big clubs in world football and he seems from his from the the noise coming from his camp is he seems to be wanting Chelsea to allow him to, to go to Bayern Munich and, and for him to, to try, try his luck there. Possibly it could be linked to, you know, them trying to replace Kingsley Coleman, who, you know, they, they assumed that they were going to have for the best part of, you know, the next 10 years. But Kingsley has unfortunately been suffering from a lot of injuries since he's come, you know, since he's come from, from Juventus to Bayern and, with Robin and Ruberi aging, it seems like they've lost one of the ready-made replacements that they already had. And Kingsley is in danger of, you know, retiring at, at the tender age of like 22 or something because he, he came out, I think it was beginning of this year, sort of saying if he gets another long-term injury, he doesn't think he can just carry on. The the rehab is just too much for him. And and we've seen, you know, times other sports into it. We've seen with Andy Murray having to retire and, you know, he's coming to retire after Wimbledon just because of the the mental side and, and the struggle, the physical side of going through so many injuries and trying to get back to that top level. So for Hudson Odoi, I think it would be a great experience, especially for the England national team to have a player out there in Germany learning that really technical side of the game. And for Chelsea, it would be a shame losing such a talented young kid. He's very direct. He's very confident. And I can see why they're trying to hold on to him. But with player power nowadays, it will be interesting to see if he can push his way out. Yeah, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. I guess the question also is, just it's Chelsea have bought so many young players. Like, their strategy of basically taking half of Europe up on loan, uh, or at least, I mean, a ton of English, a ton of young English talent up on loan, but just a ton of talent in general up on loan, is that at some point you have to play them or they're going to go, and you can't, and like, 
stockpiling players just for the sake of it is just going to leave you in a bad position, especially if you find out that one of them is really good way too late. Um, Chelsea haven't had the best talent evaluation like that we've seen in, in certain, in, in, uh, in recent periods. Uh, thanks for letting Mo Salah go. I'm pretty sure Pep has similar thoughts on De Bruyne. Uh, like at some point, they just need to figure out what they, uh, what, what their actual strategy is for, for getting youth into their side, because otherwise, what's the point of having an academy? If you're not gonna, if you're not gonna sell them, you're not gonna play them. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense to me about how they approach this. And they've got one of the best academies in England, not just in terms of locally, they, they win FA Cups for fun, um, FA Youth Cups, but also, you know, on the, uh, Champions League level, the Youth Champions League level, they have a very competitive team that, seems to always be in the running for the title. So it's a shame to see that not many of those end up being, you know, players starting for Chelsea. Um, I think also maybe the final straw for Hudson Odoi, I don't know if, 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 if you have an opinion on this, but could it not be the news that Christian Pulisic was coming in? That could be the straw that broke the camel's back in the sense of you've got me at the club, a young, exciting, direct young player, and you're bringing in Christian Pulisic. Oh, absolutely. Players don't want to think that they're being replaced, and there's two ways they can go about it. Either they can stay and fight for their spot, but obviously, if you came under a former manager, most of the time you're not going to get that chance. Like the, the one that's like you know that's always interesting to me is you know it, it's like the whole idea of when we tried to buy Clint Dempsey and and uh, Brendan Rodgers tried to offer Jordan Henderson as a makeweight for him. Now, say we could all say what we will about Hendo. Um, the idea is a 29-year-old Clint Dempsey hasn't has wasn't as good a player as Jordan Henderson's probably been for the past five years, right? Yeah, but that's I, rare I, I, where a player finds his. It's rare where a player finds his way into the plans when he was bought by another manager. Yeah, and and it, it, it's tough to to see how they're going to navigate this, and I think that's probably the biggest issue for Chelsea is that. The managers don't seem to be involved with the transfer business to too much degree. Um, you can see, I think that's ultimately what led to Conte having the, the rift with Chelsea in that he was not allowed to pick the type of players or the players that he wanted to come into the club. It was more a director of football that was just doing it on his own and seeing which kind of players he thought would be, would, would be beneficial to that squad. Whereas, in a squad like a Liverpool, maybe there's a bit more cohesion. You can see whether it's true or not, but you know, Klopp has always said that he has the final say on who comes in or not. Whereas at Chelsea, they, the manager clearly doesn't have the final say. Yeah, no, I I, I happen to agree. Now, um, sticking in, uh, you know, I guess with uh, with Chelsea because there's one other rumor of theirs I want to cover. Um, they're rumored to be joining the hunt for soon to be out of contract. Uh, Central midfielder from PSG, Adrian Rabio, um, who may or may not be a Liverpool supporter and Liverpool may or may not be interested in signing, but will probably get outbid by Barcelona. Uh, do you think Chelsea really have any shot at him? I mean, I guess the point is also, what's the purpose of buying Rabio for Chelsea? And is that an indication of maybe the fact that Sari is finding out that, uh, buying Jorginho might not have, uh, worked out as exactly as well as he would have wanted? Yeah, and I think we, we alluded to it last week in that, uh, Jorginho was highly linked to the fact that Sari was going to Chelsea and Napoli didn't feel they got enough compensation. So 
that deal also was not as clean cut as the manager specifically declaring that he wants Jorginho to come to them. It was kind of already a foregone conclusion just because of how much politics was going on there. In terms of Arabio, I think he's going to be one of the most coveted free transfers in world football. And it's hard to see him going anywhere but Barcelona at the moment. Um, Chelsea, I think, have they, they could have an argument. But I think we would probably rank above Chelsea in terms of just where the clubs are at the moment. I would assume Liverpool would be a way more attractive um, proposition than, than a Chelsea. But the concern I have with Rabio, and I don't know if you've heard it as well, is just that attitude problem he seems to have, and it's it it's it's it, it makes me very cautious to bring him in. I, I'm not going to deny the talented play he is, you know, on the pitch, and I do I do see where he could add value to our team. But Klopp is seems to have a very tight knit and very um, problem free dressing room. Could a player like Rabio, who's saying, you know, I wouldn't go to Spurs because they're beneath me type of player, do you want that type of player coming into such a tight knit group? I don't, I don't know if he, I don't know if you do. I really don't. Um, you know, because part of the reason, part of the argument for keeping Milner and Henderson around, despite the fact that Milner looks like he's 33 and is, uh, what we said last week, you know, run into a brick wall, and Henderson obviously is just, you know, pretty much an, an average player, is that they don't upset the balance of the locker room, and even then, our star players don't upset the balance of the locker room. So I don't necessarily know that I want someone who is uh, who's going to do that. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, and you can see how Barcelona have handled handled uh, Usmane Dembele. It will be interesting to see if they now have a Rabiot and an Usmane, and how those those personalities could potentially clash. So I think basically now it's the it's, you know it's, it's time, really time to wrap up. But I am going to ask one question that's non transfer related, and I think we basically just have to both give an opinion here. So. Um, as we as we all know, unfortunately, Oligon Solskjaer has now led United to six wins out of six. They've actually drawn level on points with Arsenal, um, who are you know le- they're level in in uh, both level in uh, you know fifth or sixth, depending upon what you want to call it. Um, I haven't looked at the goal difference, so I don't know which one is slightly ahead at the moment. But uh, they're both six points back of Chelsea. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that you know us and City are obviously going to get top four. Um, the gap's too large for them from us to, to fourth place to see us with, given our current form and our, you know, overall talent level that that's even remotely conceivable. Um, Spurs seem pretty nailed on as the third best team. You know, they've got flaws, which that are going to preclude them from winning the title, but still definitely probably a champions league team. That leaves you three, three fundamentally flawed teams left for one spot. Which one of them is going to get it? Chelsea with the six point head start, or is it going to be, is it going to be United because of their surge? Or is it going to be Arsenal? I'd probably have to lean towards Chelsea purely because they seem the most active this transfer window, and I think that's going to be the difference. Um, the fact that they're going to be able to bring in a forward, I, I can see Morata leaving and then you know signing a Higuain or at least someone to replace him. And they've also been looking at certain players in midfield, Leandro Paredes, um, Paredes, who is a phenomenal young talent, and also I think um, there was another midfielder they were linked with. Um, this winner. So they're definitely making moves in the market and that might be just enough to get them over the line if Sarri can bling, bring in players, maybe that suit his style more, whether he has more influence and transfers, we'll see. But in terms of United, I do think this run has been masking quite a bit. For me, it's felt like more the players 
trying to prove a point to Mourinho than necessarily playing for Solskjaer. Um, and that's going to wear off at some point in time. And then that's when we can really start to judge them. They're coming to a game against Spurs who had a tough, you know, midweek game against Chelsea and have another midweek game against Chelsea coming up where it's a chance finally for Pochettino to get that monkey off the back and win a trophy. Now, how much energy levels are Spurs bringing into this game? Obviously, we said De Gea had a phenomenal game. Um, so the United team, they're on a good run, and I think it still might continue for a while due to the, the good fixtures they have. They were very clever in the timing of when they brought Solskjaer in. It, they've really helped him with the fixtures there. But if he ends up staying as their manager, I, I would be really happy because I don't see him being able to to handle the top tier of the of, of the Premier League. I can see him having the players, and United do have the players, to be challenging for top four. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see them being able to see it throughout the whole season. And that six-point gap seems quite a big gap to Chelsea, and they seem more stable. In terms of Arsenal... Until Emre embraces the fact that he's got, you know, a Ferrari at the front dragging along a caravan, I don't know if they're going to be able to get over the line for top four. He's trying to be way too clever and too cute um, instead of just doing what Rodgers did. Because Rodgers came to Liverpool with, you know, like I think it was like a 200-page dossier on how we were going to play. And then all of a sudden you have that SAS front three of Sturridge Sterling and um, Suarez and it seemed Rogers just was willing to ride that wave and then maybe try and fix it later on and obviously maybe that led to his demise the trying to fix it later on but I think for this season Emre needs to just ride the wave of the attack and then look to worry about fixing the defense once the season is over whereas at the moment he's trying to fix the defense mid-season and that's led to a bit of a slump for them um, as I said, Chelsea, I think, look the most comfortable. Um, I think they've got enough balance in their squad to be the ones that will end up seeing themselves over the line for that top four. And I, I agree with the other three certainties for top four. I think they are more stable than than any of the, the chasing pack. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm basically a toss-up between Chelsea and United. Um, I'll address Arsenal first is the one I'm writing off. Uh, I agree with your assessment, basically, on what Emery's doing and why it's probably why it's going to backfire and why it doesn't work. Um, if you look at what Arsenal has, their 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 defensive issue isn't an issue of setup; it's an issue of personnel. Right? Klopp is right about one thing. He thinks that too much of in the English game is made up as to you solve problems by by transferring players in and out. Right? Some of it is you just have to actually coach and solve problems with what you have there. Emery isn't going to solve a 10-year-old problem without bringing new personnel in and getting rid of what's there, right? Wenger bought poorly. Emery hasn't really supplanted that. The one player he did bring that at least protects it, Torreira, has done a good job of it, but they just need new personnel because that's just going to backfire. And he does, And you're right, he just does need to embrace the, if we're going to have a shot to win games, we just basically need to try to flatten teams, go out and attack them. And I think part of this is maybe that he got a little bit, uh, I, I think that the loss to us is probably playing in his head because, you know, we, we, we really did kill them. And maybe that took a lot out of their sales. But then let's go to the United and, uh, United and Chelsea. I think Chelsea just have a far better team. Uh, when it comes down to the actual players that skill, uh, you know, the positions that they're going to require, 
Keppa versus De Gea. Um, De Gea's not having his best season today, notwithstanding. Uh, Keppa has been up and down. He's a, he's a new rookie learning the, he's, you know, he's a, he's a young, young keeper learning a new league and a new language. Um, advantage there, De Gea. Advantage in goal keeping, as we know, is very important. The back four, Chelsea, Chelsea's back four, uh, has three very competent defenders in it and, uh, Marcos Alonso. And the United back four has arguably no really competent defenders in it at the moment. So back four, Chelsea the advantage. In midfield, Chelsea's much better. Um, I, I, I think Pogba is very good going forward. I don't see what he offers off the ball. Um, I think Matic and Herrera and Fellaini and Mata and McTominay are all fairly average players at this point. Mata with the ability to unlock teams better than anybody else, but that, that, that is what it is. That's, that's some graft and a guy who, and a guy who has elite potential that doesn't, but just doesn't show it enough. And then if you look at their front lines, Chelsea's front line is significantly better because, you know, Lukaku, Rashford, nice players. Neither is close to as good as Eden Hazard, who, you know, Hazard's one of the best four or five players in the league. And so if you basically put it up that way, I just think Chelsea with a six point gap and those, and those advantages as far as just on field talent and performance, I just think that they're, I think that they're going to take it. That said, in a half a season, if we're, you know, if Paul Pogba continues the form that he's in right now, where he going forward lays waste to some teams, United could, United could narrow that gap and make it interesting. But I just still think that the six points is a bit much for them to make up. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think that sums it up pretty well. And, um, do you see anyone else challenging that, that top six or it's, it's, you know, like maybe an Arsenal falling off and a Leicester or Watford catching up or is that gap just too big? It's, it's currently nine points and ten points respectively with regards to Watford and Leicester who are seventh and eighth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. I mean, that's, that's the part of it. It's, are one of those teams going to creep into the top six? Probably not. It's 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 not going to happen. I guess the golf continues. <laughs> the golf continues. It's still a top six. All right, so that's it for us this week. We'll be back with you guys next week. Um, but, you know, before we go, Tadiba, you got anything to plug? Has any anything new in Face Off? Um, no, not not in terms of my appearances. I know there's a fantasy podcast that's scheduled for Tuesday. So listen into that. Obviously, it will be interesting talk considering Son, who is a highly owned player, is is leaving for the Asian Cup. And, you know, the United players coming into form, there was an interesting debate on the the WhatsApp group of can Liverpool fans have United players or Everton players. So I think that might leak onto the, the transfer, um, the fantasy part itself on Tuesday. And as for me, I will be on the uh, Nina Kowser show after the Crystal Palace match. So, um, you know, if you want to, if you want to, you know, listen to that, or if you actually even want to call in and question one of the incredibly dumb things I've said during the course of uh, this week, be it on Twitter or on this podcast, have at it. But uh, hopefully we're talking about a win after uh, Palace. So thank you guys very much for listening and uh, we'll be back with you next week.
Social Podcast Network.